I want to take a break from the podcast right now and I want to give you a gift. I don't want to do that to thank you for being a listener. I put my heart and soul into this podcast. I love interviewing today's experts, researchers, MDs, psychologists, sleep trainers, you name it. I just, I hope you feel inspired to take care of yourselves and your families. And I just want to thank you for, for being a listener and hanging out with me. So the code podcast10 is going to give you a one-time $10 off code at kellylevesque.com, your next order of protein powder. You can either use that on my grass-fed beef isolate protein or on my new vegan chocho bean protein. Now, here's what I love about my protein powders. It's three ingredients or less. So we don't use fillers, emulsifiers, no fortified vitamins or minerals. It's easy to digest and naturally made without any enzymes or chemicals like hexane. So it's three ingredients. With my grass-fed beef isolate, that's 100% grass-fed beef, and it's made in the way that you would make bone broth. So just heat and water. And we dehydrate it, that end product to get that collagen-rich protein powder that your whole family can drink. It can be added to coffees, to smoothies, and you can get it in vanilla, chocolate, and unflavored. I wanna point out that my vanilla and chocolate is made with organic vanilla bean, organic cacao, and the only sweetener used is organic monk fruit. We don't use any maltodextrin. Our monk fruit is 100% ground monk fruit, and it's organic. And with my vegan line, I'm so excited to have launched this and to have it out into the world. It's a regenerative bean from South America called the chocho bean. And the chocho bean is the most superior plant-based protein powder you can get your hands on because not only is it a complete protein, but the process is made with heat and water only. They're crushed and soaked, and what that end product results in is an anti-nutrient-free protein powder. So you're not gonna have any lectins, phytates, or oxalates in your protein powder. Makes it super easy to digest, and it's really, really delicious and robust in cooking as well. So I love it if I want a thicker smoothie or a smoothie bowl, and I also love it in my baked goods, from my cookies to my muffins, pancakes and breads. It's the perfect protein addition. So if you wanna give either of these proteins a try or you've already been purchasing these proteins and wanna take advantage of this special deal, the code PODCAST10 is gonna get you $10 off for being a listener here at the Be Well by Kelly podcast. So head to kellylevesque.com or bewellbykelly.com Put the protein you'd like to purchase in your cart and use the code PODCAST10 for $10 off. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. Jesse Inshipi is on a mission to translate cutting-edge science into easy tips to help people improve their physical and mental health. She is the founder of the widely popular Instagram account, Glucose Goddess, where she teaches realistic and easy food hacks to help people balance their blood sugar. She has a math degree from King's College in London and a biochemistry degree from Georgetown. Today, she's here to share her startling discovery about the essential role of blood sugar in every aspect of our lives, from cravings to fertility and the surprising hacks to optimize it while you still get to eat what you love. Please welcome the glucose goddess herself, Jessie, to the show. Jesse, welcome to the show. I've been so excited to have you on. I've been following along on your Instagram account, Glucose Goddess, for a little while now. And I just love how approachable you're making the biochemistry of what we eat and how it affects our blood, our blood sugar so easy for your audience. I just, I'm so excited for this conversation. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Kelly, for having me. It's an honor too. I love your work and I've been following you way before Glucose Goddess even started. So uh, thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Well, can we start with your background um, in biochemistry and like the, your personal journey that led you to starting to test your own blood glucose levels? For sure. So it starts even before I studied biochemistry. So the big event in my life that led me to be interested in health, you know, physical and mental was a freak accident when I was a teenager. I broke my back jumping off a waterfall crazy stuff, big surgery, lots of rehab, but it taught me that health was very important. Physical and mental health was really the number one thing we should be focusing on. It's our biggest chance and it's our big, biggest um, source of richness, our health. So 
after this happened, I went back to school. I had studied math in the past and I went back to school to study biochemistry to understand how things work under my skin because I became really interested in this. So I did biochemistry, a master's program, and then I went and worked in the field of genetics in Silicon Valley. I worked at 23andMe, the genetics. Yeah. yeah, you've heard of it. <sighs> cool. And as I was there, I kind of had this realization that one Genetics doesn't really help you understand what you need to be doing every day to feel good. It's really cool and you can learn a lot about yourself, but that's not where the answer lies in terms of how to feel amazing every day when you wake up. And as while I was at 23andMe, I actually put on a glucose monitor for the first time. And for me, this was a huge aha moment. All of a sudden, I could see the inside of my body on my phone. And it, was, it shocked me so much that this thing was available and that all of a sudden I was having this conversation with my biology. I ate something. I saw a spike. I ate something else. No spike. You know, I felt bad. There was a big dip. I felt good. My glucose was stable. I slept poorly. My glucose was a roller coaster through the night, et cetera, et cetera. So I became obsessed and I, you know, I dove really deep into all of the studies that exist on the science of glucose and how it affects people who are not diabetic because I'm not diabetic, right? And Kelly, it was just crazy. There's all this, all these amazing discoveries out there that show us, as you know very well, that our blood sugar levels impact our fertility, our sleep, how quickly we age, what we look like, how we feel, the health of our organs. And I was just like, oh my gosh. So I had this big realization I wanted to tell everybody. So I started telling my friends, guys, look at this scientific paper. It says this stuff. Nobody cared. They were like, mm, okay, that's cool, Jesse. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so I realized there was something missing. I wanted to make it cool and interesting because I knew it could heal people. So I had to figure out a way to, in a way, make it sexy. You know, how do you make science sexy? So I had this idea of taking my own glucose data from my glucose monitor and creating these pretty little graphs to illustrate the existing science. And I started and people loved it. And they asked me to do more and more and more. And so I kept doing it and I've been responding, you know, for three years now to the requests I'm getting for more information and more graphs and more explanations. And that's how the movement was born. I just kind of did it because people wanted me to. <laughs> I love it. So when you were at 23andMe, how did you first get access to a continuous glucose monitor? And had you ever tested with the traditional glucometer before that? I had not. So we had these pilot projects internally, but we tested lots of different new technologies, you know, Silicon Valley, like there's stuff all around. We're always looking at new opportunities and new technologies. So we got access to it under a research program that we did in partnership with one of the CGM companies, but it was all internal. Like we never developed anything around it or launched anything around it. Um, so I got access to it that way. And then because in the U S they're so hard to get, Right. Unless you have a prescription or you go through one of the companies that charge a lot of money for it. Right. I got mine in France because I'm French. So when yeah. I went home to Paris, I would buy some at the pharmacy and just use those because you can get them over the counter for pretty cheap. Wow. France, man. <laughs> it's the answer I, to everything. I like to pretend I'm French because of Levesque, you know, but yeah. it's, it's just, it's my married name. Um, yeah. If people are interested in continuous glucose monitors, levels.link forward slash Kelly will let you get a levels continuous glucose monitor. But like you said, it is an investment. I have had clients really learn a lot about their biology and how food affects them personally using that link. And it, there's a major line. It's like 80, at one point it was like 80 or hundred thousand people like sitting on this wait list, because this is the kind of information that allows us to understand what's going on in our body and what food works for us and what food doesn't work for us. And exactly what you said, things that impact our blood sugar outside of food. So, so let's start with food. When you first started wearing a continuous glucose monitor, what were some foods that really surprised you that maybe didn't work for you? And what were you seeing on your continuous glucose monitor, um, app on your so phone? What was cool is that a few of my friends were doing it at the same time, the pilot study, and cookies are really not 
good for my body. Every time I, and I love cookies. So every yeah. time I ate a cookie, I got a huge spike, whereas my friends stayed pretty flat. So that was my first nut to crack. I was like, okay, how am I going to eat a cookie in a way that's not going to send my glucose through the roof? So I paired it with Greek yogurt. I had some vinegar and water before, and then I went for a walk and I was able to hack my way to a steady glucose cookie. So that was my first win. I was super stoked about that. We got to um, unpack all that. We got to unpack the vinegar and water. We got to unpack the movement and we got to unpack the Greek yogurt. So what are you doing to hack your way to a flat glucose Mm -hmm. curve with a cookie? Because everyone listening is like, I want a cookie. How do I have a cookie? Yeah. And this is, you're really touching on the core of what I do with my glucose graphs and the science that I translate. I give people hacks that allow them to eat stuff that is traditionally considered, you know, not very good for your glucose in a way that doesn't harm their body as much. So we're not saying the cookie will have no impact on my body, but with these hacks, you can really mitigate it. So let's unpack vinegar first. Vinegar is this, is the closest thing to a silver bullet when it comes to glucose that you can ever find. It's insane. <laughs> when I first read the studies, I was like, what the, what? What? So the way vinegar works, it has a few different uh, modes of effect in our body. One of the things it does is that it tells our muscles to uptake more glucose and make glycogen, which means store glucose, faster than normal. So as you eat a cookie and the glucose rushes into your bloodstream, your muscles under the action of vinegar will uptake it quicker. So it takes it out of your bloodstream. Vinegar also tells your mitochondria, the powerhouse of your cells, to burn more fat. So it's actually as efficient as a lot of thermogenic fat burners out there. And then lastly, vinegar slightly inactivates this enzyme called alpha amylase, which is a big deal in the glucose world. This enzyme is the one you have in your stomach that breaks down starch into individual glucose molecules. So vinegar, your best friend. What I do before I eat something sweet or starchy, I have a tablespoon of it in a tall glass of water. And when I do this, then the glucose spike is not as high. So the dip is not as low. So I don't start off a chain of cravings in my body like cookies would usually do. Oh, I love that so much. Do you have a vinegar that you prefer or that you found in research is the most effective? They all work, but the most popular one is apple cider vinegar just because it tastes better. But like a lot of people actually don't like the taste of ACV apple cider vinegar. So you Mm. can do white wine vinegar, you can do cherry vinegar, you can do rice vinegar. Balsamic is probably not a very good option because it has added sugar in it. But other than that, you can just use whatever you want. Great. And do you always dilute it or do you ever take it like a shot? I dilute it uh, because apparently it's better for your teeth. So I try to dilute and use a straw. Yeah. But some people... The diehards, they just love chugging it. They're like, no, put some water in there. <laughs> what does it have the same effect if you're not having it before the meal? And if you're having it with the meal, say, for example, in a vinaigrette on a salad or something like that? Yes, it absolutely works if you do it during the meal. Even a little bit after the meal actually also works. And the salad and vinaigrette hack is amazing because that's a much easier way to consume vinegar than you know, in a glass of water, because I think for a lot of people, that sounds a bit gross, even though I love it. It's an acquired taste. (laughs) I enjoy it so much. I really do. It makes me feel so healthy. Yeah. (laughs) And it is like what I think you're giving people and why I've loved your Instagram so much is you really are breaking down the science in the research that you see in PubMed and showing that it works in your body. And that I think adding to your plate or adding to your life is such a healthier mindset, then you're never going to have a cookie again. You're never going to have sushi again or whatever the case may be. So, so the vinegar hack, I love a tablespoon of vinegar before the meal, during the meal, or even after the meal is shown to be effective in supporting your mitochondria to burn fat and your muscles to suck up more sugar from your bloodstream, which is going to make sure that you don't hit such a high and crash as hard. Awesome. So now let's talk about pairing Greek yogurt with that cookie to mitigate the spike. Absolutely. This is a really important hack to understand that if we have carbs, so starches or sugars on their own, all the glucose in them 
gets into your stomach and then your intestine and then your bloodstream very quickly, uninterrupted, right? They just like flow through and create a big glucose spike. What we can do is what I call putting clothes on your carbs. So if you accompany these carbs, don't let your carbs go out naked. It's dangerous out there. If you put clothes on your carbs, whether it's fiber, fat, or protein, you're going to slow down their little trip through your body. Not only that, but actually if you add fiber, the fiber is going to coat the inside of your intestine and you're actually going to absorb less of the glucose into your bloodstream. So really make sure to put carbs, uh, clothes on your carbs. My favorite ones to use are Greek yogurt when I eat something sweet. Nuts are also pretty good. And then when you eat something starchy, for example, you know, pasta, rice, or something like that, I would definitely go for green veggies. Just have a little plate of green veggies with vinegar before you have a starchy meal or add some protein. Make sure you have like some eggs, some fish, some source of vegan protein if you're vegan, and then some healthy fats. So go-tos would be, you know, olive oil, avocado, stuff like that. And this really has a huge impact on what your glucose curve is going to look like. And it's not just about fattening this one curve or that one meal. The, the flatter you keep your glucose at the beginning of the day, so during breakfast or lunch, the better you're going to feel in the afternoon, the less hungry you'll be when dinner rolls around and the fewer cravings you'll experience in the later part of the day. So it really starts having this compound effect on your life and how you feel and just every day adds to the next. And all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, oh my God, I feel amazing. <laughs> that's what people have told me. That's what I've experienced too. I mean, if anyone has followed me at all in the last decade, they know how big my smile is on the other side of this camera to hear you say that because that's the golden ticket right there. It isn't that, oh, if I just do this this one time, it's that it's that cyclical effect. It's that it's the ripple. It's the ripple throughout the rest of your day because it is that three or four o'clock hour where people take that trip by the pantry, open it up and go like, what crunchy snacks are here? Or it's after they put their kids to bed or after they go to bed at late night and they're like, I I white knuckled it. I did so good all day. I tried my best, but maybe they had those spikes and crashes and they're looking for sweets. Yeah. So this is, this is the flexibility I think people need to say like, Hey, if I want to have a little piece of chocolate, at, you know, with lunch, or if I want to have a little cookie, I can mitigate that spike. I can keep myself a little flat and experience all the benefits of that elongated blood sugar curve to then not have these major cravings and an inability to keep myself from eating all the processed foods or feeling like they can't even purchase them or bring them into their home. Absolutely. And there's this cool study. I'm not sure if you came across it. Um, they had people eat two types of breakfast, same amount of calories. One breakfast led to a big glucose spike. The other, black, the other breakfast kept their glucose level steady. Same amount of calories, right? Just different, just different effects on your glucose spike. The people who had a breakfast that created a big spike were hungrier at lunch and at dinner. Mm -hmm. So the shape of your breakfast curve really impacts the rest of the day. And so what I, what I recommend to people is to have a savory breakfast. That's the quickest way to make sure that your glucose will be steady. And for many of us, we've not experienced what it's like to live a full day after a breakfast that kept your glucose level steady, right? A lot of people operate with this big spike for breakfast, big spike for lunch, big spike for dinner, this cravings roller coaster. And if you change breakfast, it becomes much different. It's a very powerful place to start, I think. Absolutely. Change the first third of your day and it's easier to change the last mm -hmm. two. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Can we talk a little bit about what a savory breakfast looks like for you and some examples that you've shared online that really work to flatline your blood glucose so that you feel your best and are operating at your best the rest of the day. Totally. My go-tos personally, I love lentils in the morning. I don't know why. I just, I just love them. lentils, soft boiled egg. You can have a piece of toast with avocado, olive oil. You can even have oats as long as you don't add anything sweet to them. So oats with seeds and protein powder, almond butter, that kind of stuff. Um, smoothies that don't contain too much fruit. <laughs> and then of course the eggs and the bacons of the world, um, the, the traditional low carb breakfast that don't contain very many carbs. Um, yeah. What about you? Do you have any favorite go-to savory breakfasts? 
Yeah. So outside of the fat force smoothie, which you touched on, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a more of a blood sugar balancing smoothie with limited fruit or no fruit. My favorites are my warm chia, like triple seed um, pudding, which is basically, I call it faux meal. It's fake oatmeal. So it's chia, um, uh, flax and hemp hearts. And I'll put, you know, grass fed butter or ghee on that. It's like really mm-hmm. kind of more like a grits. I love anything eggs. Um, you know, it kind of depends on my kids because Sebastian had an egg allergy. And so I'm sensitive to that and like making eggs in front of him or whatever. So if he's off to school, then fine, I'll make a scramble or I'll have, I love like spicy egg tacos with a siete tortilla, which is an almond flour tortilla. So you're not seeing that same spike and crash, but, and I'm, I'm known to eat leftovers to be honest. So like if there's ever a soup, like I just made a chicken vegetable soup last night. Toshin and I just had that for breakfast this morning. So it's soups to me feel like they can be a breakfast, lunch, or a dinner and feel really warming. And uh, it's a great way to start the day for me. Yeah. And in fact, thinking of your breakfast, just like a lunch or a dinner really helps also put you in a place where your glucose will be steadier afterwards. This whole, like having a lot of sweet stuff for breakfast has caused more harm than good. Honestly, and I think we can just go back to thinking of breakfast or like another meal. And soup is great for all meals. Yeah, absolutely. But let's talk about timing and how you what you've seen um, with your continuous glucose monitor. If you've done any intermittent fasting, if you've waited, um, what happens with your glucose levels, and is there a sweet spot for you? Yeah, so I'm not a huge intermittent fasting person. Just I feel like it doesn't really work for me that well. What I have found, which is very, very important, is that no matter how long you fast for, whether you fast just overnight or you fast for 16 hours a day, when your stomach is empty and you're finishing a fast, your body is very, very open and receptive to whatever you put in it. So it's very important to not start with starches or sugars because on an empty stomach, the impact of something sweet will be so much greater than if you have that something sweet after a full meal. So that for me was really the biggest realization. Do not have a cookie after not having eaten for 12 hours. Have the cookie as dessert after a full meal. And that's also one of the hacks I share. You know, avoid snacking on sweet stuff. Just have dessert if you want something sweet. Such an important point that you're making because the research does absolutely show that as well, especially all this fasting research. It's showing that not only do we see a larger spike in glucose, a larger spike in insulin, we see a larger spike in inflammatory markers like C-reactive protein if people are coming off of a fast and binging. And that's really the hard part for me when it comes to watching people do intermittent fasting. They feel so good that they've fasted for 16 hours, but their hunger hormones and their brain is in overdrive to overconsume. And if Overconsumption leads to the overconsumption of highly processed foods, sugars, added sugars, and all of that. It's not working for you. And I think that's the hard part when I look at the Instagrams that are promoting OMAD eating one meal a day or two meals a day. It doesn't always work for everyone and it doesn't always work for women. And getting to a point where you're breaking the fast with a protein rich, blood sugar balancing meal, whenever that is between maybe say the hours of seven and like, I would say 11 at the latest, I tend to find the best results for women. And if you want to have that extended fast, let's finish dinner a little bit earlier, which you've seen is so much easier when you're balanced because you can shut it down at at night. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, completely. The fasting research and the fact that it's been done mostly on men has been an amazing thing to to find out. Um, But yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah, completely. It's very important to keep that in mind. It's not just about the fasting. It's about how you break the fast too. Yeah, absolutely. So thinking about the continuous glucose monitor as a tool, like a lot of times people look out into the health world and they say, well, what's a tool for me? Maybe it's bulletproof coffee. Maybe it's intermittent fasting. Maybe it's sauna, cryotherapy, using a scale, calorie counting, macro counting. We can kind of reach for things and try to try, try to do them. And there's been this 
you know, I've had comments on Instagram from, from people who follow me that say like, why would you use a continuous glucose monitor? That's like, that's a dieting technique or that's going to, that's going to cause me to stress out and obsess. Can you talk about your personal experience with the CGM and if it's been freeing or if you feel like it's been shackles? It's a great question. Um, I think for some people it can be a bit too much because you're really getting feedback every second of every day on what you're eating and what you're doing. So I think it, it's also important for people to, to be mindful if they know they have a personality where they become a bit obsessed with the data a bit too much to maybe, you know, that's not the right move. And in fact, you know, all my work and everything I share on my Instagram is also for people who don't have a continuous glucose monitor, who can't afford it. And you can get a lot of benefits by following my hacks, even if you don't have a CGM. But when it comes to my personal relationship with it, it felt like a friend, you know, it felt like I had this extra source of wisdom that I could turn to. And over time, I actually developed this sixth sense of, I know what my glucose levels is doing right now. It taught me so much about how to listen to my body, how to understand what the feelings and the moods meant. For me, it's been an incredible teacher, incredible teacher, incredible motivator. I used to wear it all the time. Um, I think I wore it 24 seven for two years. And now I kind of space it out because I've learned so much and I feel like I don't need it all the time. But when I do have it on, I'm more motivated to take better care of myself because accountability is a huge thing when it comes to making healthy choices in your day-to-day life. And this is this holds you real accountable. You cannot cheat your CGM. Uh, so I, I think it's really helpful uh, thinking about it that way. It's a tool to keep you motivated, um, but it's also first and foremost, a tool to teach you the language of your body. It's an educator. And, and I want to go back to touching on feeling and mood, but, but first and foremost, what I, what I love about that is that it's, it's holding you accountable. You think it's a teacher, a coach, it's, it's someone holding your hand and you can't cheat your, cheat your CGM. But what's so great about it is that it's more than just one number a day. It's not jumping on the scale and going like it's up or it's down. And this type of a tool, if your goals are weight loss, if your goals are better sleep, if your goals are, you know, improved mood, if your goals, less inflammation, if like no matter what your goal is, a CGM is going to support you to get there in a really powerful way because you're able to make those changes. For me personally, wearing a CGM, I think starting with the understanding that my body is capable of metabolizing anything, my body is miraculous and wants to be healthy, and that it is strong and resilient, if that's your baseline, and let's say you did have a cookie, a naked cookie, which let's just, let's just talk about this real quick. You've, you've already dropped some amazing tips for people who want to balance their blood sugar. No naked carbohydrates. Make sure they're clothed in something like protein, fat, and fiber. Huge fan of that tip. Make sure that you're having your sweets as dessert and not first thing. Always, if you're going to have some type of high starch or high sugar type of a food, vinegar is your best friend before, during, or after any type, as long as it's not a sugary balsamic super big tips right there. But for me, it's like knowing that my body can handle anything. Let's say I did have that cookie naked without the vinegar, not after dinner or not after lunch. And I didn't start my day in a really balanced way. So we are going in, we're going in fasted. We're starting our, breaking a fast with a donut. Let's say I did that. Damn. A CG. Yeah. Watch out for that (laughs) roller coaster, right? The CGM for me, it's funny. Like I'll still sometimes be like, okay, I did that. And I'll see that blood sugar spike happen. And instead of going like, I am a failure. I made a mistake. I can't get it together. I just go, all right, where's my blood sugar? How do I bring it down? And I might jump on the Peloton. I might go for a walk. I might lift some weights. I might try to add some vinegar on top of that. I might decide, okay, in about three hours, I'm going to have a Fab Four smoothie without any added fruit. And I'm going to throw a a chuck roast in a slow cooker right now so that I have some protein for dinner tonight and I can really start to re-regulate my blood sugar. So for me, a CGM is, is the most freedom that I've ever felt because I, it doesn't allow me to say I threw in the towel. I can see within three or four hours that I can bring that blood sugar back down. Yeah. And no problem. Your, and your body will bring it back to steady 
if you wait a little bit by itself. And that's another thing I realized. Our body is really trying to help us because a big glucose spike is bad for our cells. It's bad for inflammation. It's bad for all this stuff. But what the body does is amazing. When it feels this big glucose spike coming in, it rings the alarm bell. It's like, okay, let's get Kelly, you know, back to steady after her donut. Yeah. <laughs> what your body does, it takes the glucose and it puts it away, right? It stores it into your fat cells to protect you from having a glucose level that is too high for too long. So it also taught me that, oh, when I put on fat, I should actually thank my body. That's my body helping me out. Because if it didn't do that, my glucose levels would stay really high. And my stress levels and my cells would go through the roof. Inflammation wouldn't stop. Like we're, we're partners, you know, what I eat then impacts how my body responds. My body is just trying to help. That's amazing. When you see that happening. You make such a good point because there are times when people look at body sizes and say, oh, that person isn't metabolically healthy, but depending on where they're storing their fat and exactly what you said, like actually they may be, <laughs> if their body is, is choosing to store elevated glucose as fat, instead of creating non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, instead of causing inflammation, cell breakdown, and potentially leading to things like polycystic ovarian syndrome, leading to type two diabetes, or even Alzheimer's or dementia, they're just going, well, you put a little, you put a little fat on your belly. Okay. Maybe that's a, a little indicator for you that, Hey, you need to probably focus on your blood sugar balance and take a break off some of this stuff. But but really, sometimes we see amazing metabolic markers with multiple different si body sizes and types, which is so such a good point that you make. And also people who genetically are unable to put on as much fat, right? They develop these diseases quicker. So it's not because you're super skinny that you're healthy. Your glucose levels might be super, super high because your body can't store it and can't protect you that much from it. That's, I mean, that's the case with type one diabetics, right? That's exactly right. what happens. They, and they suffered very big consequences. Ex exactly right. And I have polycystic ovarian clients who it's insulin resistance manifesting in their, like in their organs, like in their ovaries and hurting their fertility, but they have no idea. And that's the hardest thing for me is when a client has had some signs of PCOS, but generally they, you know, are having a period and they maybe just get a little cystic acne, but they don't have, you know, facial hair growth or they don't have a receding hairline and their doctor didn't, you know, didn't notice, or they didn't notice. They just thought that was normal. And then they go to have a child and it all, you know, ultrasound reveals there's cysts or cyst-like, you know, tendencies. And that's, that's really hard because, your outside doesn't always tell you what's happening on the inside. Completely. I got a message yesterday from this um, wonderful lady, one of my community members, uh, followers, and she told me that a year ago she stopped the pill and she thought it would be really easy to get pregnant, right? But she stopped the pill and her period didn't come back for months, for six months. So she went to her doctor. The doctor said, oh, you have PCOS. And so she was completely disheartened. She was like, what am I going to do? And serendipitously, somebody showed her my Instagram account. She started applying the hacks. And two months, her period came back. And she just told me that she found out she's pregnant. That's amazing. Which is so cool, right? So if rewarding. You, ah, it's incredible. And I get many of these messages every day. And it humbles me so much. I'm like, oh, my God. Like this, this message really needed to exist. And the more people talk about this, the more good we can do in the world and help more people heal. And it's just, that's what, you know, makes me wake up every day and make my graphs and try to make better and better content. It's because it really works. These hacks that I've translated from science truly make a difference in people's lives very quickly. It's amazing. I feel so grateful and lucky that I get to do this. It's, it's wild. Well, what you're doing is you're not telling people to have, to live a very super strict lifestyle that doesn't mm -hmm. ever include enjoying life, enjoying sweets or alcohol or breads or starches, because I think, and that's realistic. Like I haven't ever had a client, even my most strict clients that probably eat better than I do. You know, I don't, they, even they are human and want to enjoy this part of life. Like it's the food that we taste and the meals that we share with friends and family, like that is so much a part of our life. And so what is so amazing with what you're doing is that you're so approachable, you're so realistic, and you're giving people the tools that they need to 
to live a normal life. You know, you're not saying eat processed foods every day, but you're giving people the tools to do that. Let's go back to what you touched on, which was feeling and mood. How has balancing your blood sugar supported your mood? And what have you seen when you're dysregulated? That was one of, I mean, everything has been incredible, but this has been a discovery that has truly changed my life at the deepest level. After I broke my back, I started having these episodes of depersonalization, which is this mental health condition where you feel outside of your body, you feel very anxious about just existing. You know, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. It was like, oh, just PTSD stuff manifesting, you know, stress in my body, not being processed properly. And I found out, Kelly, that one of the triggers was a very big glucose spike. And it's so funny that you mentioned breaking your fast with the donuts because that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And that's what showed me this. So I was, I, I had a donut for breakfast one morning and I was wearing my CGM. This was month two, I think of wearing it. And all of a sudden I start feeling this episode coming, coming on. So I feel not in my body. Everything gets a bit blurry. And I check my CGM massive spike up to 180. So like really, really high. And in that moment, I was like, oh my God, one of the triggers is glucose spikes. Mm -hmm. And for me, it had been 10 years that I had tried to make sense of this thing. And I had made sense of it in different ways, but that was amazing to me. Like what I'm eating can trigger mental health episodes. And then as it went forward, I spoke to many people who told me that they linked glucose spikes to more anxiety, you know, more depression, irregular moods. The science also supports this heavily. When you flatten your glucose curves, depressive symptoms diminish, anxiety diminishes, you feel happier, et cetera. So this has been really, really interesting for me that food truly affects how we feel. But one thing that's really cool wearing a CGM and understanding this is that in our day-to-day life, what you have for breakfast, you don't necessarily connect it to how you feel a few hours later. Because lots of stuff happens, right? You go to the office, you have a stressful meeting. You're like, oh, maybe it's this meeting that's making me anxious. But with a CGM, you're able to disentangle all of this and say, no, I don't feel well because of what I ate for breakfast two hours before. And that was truly incredible. Yeah. Super eye-opening. And Mm -hmm. it's hard because when you look at someone who may be going through depression, anxiety, stress, their ability to make healthier decisions is harder. And where a CGM supports you to do that is you can really, like you said, you can disentangle, you can really see, wow, I am, I am hitting a major high and crashing really hard here. And it is not supportive of how I'm feeling, but it can Mm -hmm. be a slippery slope because if you're not feeling good and you're trying to get a dopamine hit from a donut, And then it's perpetuating the spike and crash and increasing the cravings to then have a sugary yogurt or a piece of fruit on its own, little naked, little naked fruit. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to go into the afternoon craving those, you know, crunchy foods and whatnot. That's the hard part. But just even hearing you say that and knowing that people can get their hands on a CGM and start to understand this, or even just use your hacks on your Instagram to, Mm -hmm. to, to have that cookie with a little yogurt try to flatline it. I think it's always easier to, to lower your blood sugar in an approachable way by making those healthy swaps or pairing foods first, and then starting to pull back on the carbohydrate load instead of really, really trying to just white knuckle it through. But what, what's, what, what have you found to be the most successful in trying to pull back on carbohydrates and processed foods? Breakfast, change your breakfast. You know, if you're used to having sweet stuff for breakfast, just tell yourself you'll have it for dessert after lunch. And in the morning, just make sure you have a savory breakfast. And this is the hack that I recommend to people who are just starting out with or without a CGM. Like this is the first place to to look at how you can improve how you feel and, and your body's health, have a savory breakfast. And then, as I mentioned, you know, the studies show that if you do that, the rest of the day will be so much better. Your mood will be steadier. You'll have fewer cravings or be less hungry before lunch and dinner. So it's really, really an amazing, uh, powerful ally, this savory breakfast. And, you know, I just want to say again, a lot of people can't afford the CGMs yet. And this is stuff that you can do even without wearing a CGM. Of course, if you wear a CGM, you see it. So it, it might make it feel a little bit more alive and exciting. But trust me, even without a CGM, the hacks really help everybody. 
And you mentioned something earlier is that you wore it strictly for two years and now you do it intermittently. That's something for me. I mean, I used a regular glucometer for almost a decade before a CGM was available and I wasn't using it all the time. But for example, you know, a new pizza place open that did a fermented buckwheat pizza at Pizana in Los Angeles. Candace Nelson is the founder. I love her. Yeah. She started Sprinkles Cupcakes. She's a, a, fr- a female friend and or an entrepreneur and just, I think, like a mentor to me a little bit in her just savvy business nature. But, you know, the pizza is delicious. But for me, it was like, Chris wanted to get this every Friday night. He wanted to get Pizana takeout. It became a thing. And I was like, okay, you're on board with the gluten-free fermented version of this and like adding the veggies. Okay. Let me just see how this works in my body. And it became something where I would use a, a traditional glucometer just to say like, where am I in? Where, where's my glucose at before I have this pizza? Where is it at one hour, two hour, and three hours later? And I'm having that at night. So where am I, where am I waking up? Like what's my number fasted glucose number when I wake up the next morning and what's really happening just to kind of get a mini snapshot. So that's something that people can do too. It's definitely more time intensive. You do have to prick your finger versus a CGM, which there is a flexible fiber under your skin and, but you don't feel it and it's comfortable and it's constantly taking your glucose every minute. And by using your phone and clicking your phone to the CGM, it gives you that that full snapshot view of exactly what's happened. And as long as you're testing it, what, twice a day or three times a day, you won't miss any data. Exactly. And my advice to people who um, get a CGM and for example, they can only afford one, for example, for two weeks is try to test for the first week as many different things as possible. Yeah. (laughs) Go full out. And then the second week, start applying my hacks and see what happens and try to associate how you feel to the curve of your glucose. That way, if and when you're not wearing the CGM anymore, you can still remember and, and sort of intuit, oh, my glucose must be doing this right now. So it's really important if you only have a two-week time period, I think, to do that. Great. Let's jump into liquids, coffee, alcohol, juice, kombucha, energy drinks. What have you tested? What are your teachings? I've tested everything. Okay. (laughs) For science. (laughs) All the cocktails. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Uh, Okay. So fruit juice, big no-no. Just like eat your fruit whole. Yeah. Fruit juice is not a not a friend, um, even if you think it has vitamins in it. I mean, it does, but it also has as much sugar as Coca Cola can. So, yeah, just fruit juice, let it go. Then, when it comes to alcohol, so wine is fine, champagne is fine. I'm French, so that's helpful. <laughs> any um, any spirits, so you know, you're talking vodka, tequila, rum, etc., are usually fine. When you really spike your glucose is when you have mixers mixed in with those spirits that are sugary. Mm. So, tonic, for example, full of sugar. Switch it to soda. Right, have a vodka soda instead of a vodka tonic, and I have this cool graph on my profile that shows the difference between the two, and it's pretty, it's pretty amazing because already alcohol is not really good for your body. So if you can avoid a glucose spike on top of it, your body will thank you. You know, take mm-hmm. uh, try try to minimize the damage. So yeah, mixes are important. Soda has become my my go to mixer, um, and then when I do enjoy a cocktail, I know it's not going to be super good for me if I have a sweet mixer, but it's okay. Then coffee. So when I tested oat milk, it made a very, very big spike in my body. Yeah. And it seems to be the case for about 75% of people that it creates a big glucose spike. Um, you're, you're, you look like you agree. Oh, well, I'm nodding my head because I, it's no surprise. You yeah. look at the, what is it made out of, right? Mm-hmm. So like a coconut is mostly fat, a little bit of carbohydrates, you know, no protein. Mm-hmm. You look at an almond, it's protein, fat, and fiber. When you look at an oat, it's a grain. It's mostly carbohydrates. So of course, breaking it down, like in making a milk out of it, it's going to be Mm -hmm. mostly just a spike of glucose. Mm -hmm. I think this graph, the oat milk cappuccino has broken many hearts. People love their oat milk. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's one that I, I'm sorry to have discovered and shown people, but I think it's helpful. <laughs> it is helpful <laughs> because they've yeah. all made these health, quote unquote healthy choices. When you actually yeah. look, if someone doesn't have a dairy issue and they mm-hmm. can get away with whole milk over non-fat milk or, you know, 
or they're making the choice for say like a coconut milk or just maybe a plain coffee or a tea. Like that is, I think eye opening. I, I talked about oat milk like a month or two after it came out here in Los Angeles. And I had probably the most amount of comments in that post, but I was breaking down what's in the oat milks here in, in California, looking in the oat milk, you know, it's, it's oats, which here in the United States are mostly sprayed with glyphosate and they are not organic and non G, you know, potentially GMO. And then you look at it's filled with rapeseed oil, which is basically canola oil to stabilize it and create it, make it foam. And then most of them have added sugar. So not only is it like an inflammatory oil that's being heated with hot air to create this latte or, or cappuccino, then you have the oats, which are mostly sugar and added sugar, which is going to just drive up your glucose. So it's a bummer for sure. It's a bummer. I mean, I don't personally like the taste, so it wasn't a bummer for me, but for anybody out there who drinks a lot of oat milk, but has health issues, doesn't feel well, you know, from fatigue to cravings to acne to fertility issues, you know, the oat, the oat milk might be a good place to start. Totally. (laughs) Bummer. Bummer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But there are so many other options. And um, actually, if you're looking to be environmentally friendly or save water, flax milk is now available here in the US and it is um, grown completely with rainfall. So it actually doesn't need to be pollinated. It doesn't need any regular water. It's it grows on rainfall alone. And so I have to try that. Shout out to Malibu milk. I'd love to see it actually. Um, I yeah. could probably do it on my glucometer too, but if they have an, they have unsweetened. We should do it together and we should see um, how different our spikes are. If there's we should start doing some co-posts and being yeah. like, okay, let's see. I'm going to make your soft boiled eggs and lentils and see how that affects me. And then, and we can yeah. start testing some stuff. That could be cool. All it. right. So alcohol, I think is a major relief for some people tuning in wine and spirits. Let's keep the sugary mixers out. What about beer? Beer depends on the beer. Okay. Depends on the beer. Obviously low carb beers will keep your glucose level steadier. I think IPAs are also better um, than other beers, but Beers have a higher carb content. So what I recommend, what you can have, if you have beer, for example, is have a few nuts before, have some olives, have a little bit of cheese, have some ham, you know, have something that is fat, protein, or fiber. You can combine liquids just like you would combine, you know, solid food to solid food. You can combine liquids with a solid food to curb the spike. It works the same way. Right. So a little, a little healthy glucose steady appetizer will help before beers. Ooh, you've just touched on something that I want to, I want to dive deeper into appetizers. Mm. How can appetizers be supportive of a blood sugar curve or totally derail your blood sugar Mm. curve? Okay. So when you're at a restaurant and they give you bread while you're ordering, do not eat it. (laughs) (laughs) PSA, do not eat that. Because what happens is if your appetizer is very starchy or even very sweet, we mostly eat their starchy, right? Yeah. You, as I mentioned, the starches will go through your body very quickly because there's nothing holding them back. So bam, big glucose spike, even before you've started your entire meal. And then the the spike will rise and then it will crash. You will develop cravings, maybe around dessert time. Mm -hmm. So you'll be much more likely to want to order dessert. And if I had a restaurant and I wanted people to order as much as possible, I would definitely serve them bread and then make them wait, you know, 45 minutes to an hour before serving them any other food. So I make sure they're in the middle of a crash (laughs) and they order dessert. So try to avoid the bread. The best starter, and this is something that I've picked up um, and I, I use every single day in my own life, and my friends love this as well, is to add a veggie starter to your meals. So any vegetable under the sun, uh, salad, artichoke hearts, uh, lentils, uh, carrots, like tomatoes, whatever. Take some vegetables and eat them first before everything else. Because as I mentioned, vegetables have a lot of fiber and the fiber does this magical thing. So many magical things happen with food and the body. So fiber will go through your stomach into your intestine and will actually create this mesh on the inside walls of your intestines. And this mesh will literally reduce the amount of glucose that your body can absorb. So anything that comes down after the vegetables, their absorption will be reduced. So you'll see a massive reduction in the glucose spike, even though you're eating the exact same pizza, pasta, rice dish afterwards. It's, it's a miracle, fiber miracle. 
this is why I love you. It's adding to your plate instead of depriving yourself. It's using the hacks to support you to go out and enjoy a meal with your friends or decide that you do want the pizza. So, so good. Look at the sides. I think people automatically assume like if they don't have a salad on the menu, then what could I have for veggies? Look at the sides. There's always like a broccolini or, Mm -hmm. you know, a, a Brussels sprout or like you said, salad, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Whatever they have. And if they have a side salad and they have a vinaigrette dressing, yes, you're getting a twofer. Ah, two hacks in one. That's that's the ultimate combo. And I even have people um, in the community that tell me that before they go out for dinner with friends, they just have like some broccoli at home because, you know, they want to, they, some people are a bit embarrassed of saying, well, I'm having some vegetables first. People are like, oh, are you on a diet or what's going on? So they just do it at home before going out. And the fiber stays in your system for one, two and a half hours. So you actually have time to do that if you prefer. Have some green stuff at home, some vegetables at home, and then go out. Like nothing is happening, but you know that on the inside, what you're having at the restaurant will have vastly smaller effect on your system. You know, it's funny because that's a hack that I give clients when it comes down to the holidays and a lot of these um, tray past appetizer parties Mm -hmm. and buffet style parties where they're going to walk in the door, be handed a glass of champagne or a sugary drink. Then they're going to be kind of like come in contact with a bunch of trays of maybe it's like mushrooms, but they're covered in breadcrumbs and it's Mm -hmm. uh, something on like a small piece of toast or, you know, that that's really canapes or whatever it is. Like that's how the appetizers are coming. So I always say like, have a, have a little like bad for smoothie or a roadie before you go where you're throwing some protein, almond milk, and a little chia or spinach in first and sip that roadie on the way to the party or right when you're getting ready and make that your pre-party versus having a cocktail at home, getting to the party and then feeling like "Mm, I having sort of low blood sugar because I didn't have a sugary mixer. And now all I want is all the treats or all the appetizers. Definitely supportive. I've seen that work with my clients a number of times. Totally. And then I think when you start applying the hacks, you really get into the situation where you thank your past self a lot. Many times when I get to a party, I'm like, ah, oh, thank you, Jesse, from two hours ago for having those artichoke hearts before going out. And it becomes exciting. You know, you partner with yourself. You're like, ah, I did that. So now I don't feel guilty about eating this tray of starchy stuff. And I think that it's very healing. Yeah. It's very, very healing to feel like you're, you're your own ally. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And you don't have to, I think the hard part too, is you don't have to be the person who's trying to white knuckle it. You don't have to expect yourself to be able to say no to something. And when, especially when you're, you have an empty stomach and those cravings are, do exist because you maybe didn't support your blood sugar earlier and you quote unquote, like, I never think this is a failure, but you quote unquote, think it's a failure. And then you throw in the towel and say, I'm going to start tomorrow. I'll start on Monday. And you're just delaying the chance for healing. You're delaying the chance for balance. And like I said earlier, like I think a CGM is so healing and so freeing because if I do make that choice, you go to the party, you, you have the cocktail before you're hitting low blood sugar. When you get there, you have all the appetizers, you feel bad, you check your glucose. It's really high. I look at that and I go, okay what can I do now to really bring myself back into balance that isn't getting on the internet and say, looking for a juice cleanse or a soup diet or trying to restrict and fast my way out of it. Like allowing my body to naturally bring it back down and rebalance is super important. But I do want to touch on something here. How long does it really take to rebalance your blood sugar? Your body rebalances your blood sugar every night when you're sleeping. Right. So what happens if you have a really big, let's say you have a really high glucose spike and you have all the sugar and all the sweets and you wake up with elevated blood sugar Mm. and you're fasting, fasting blood sugar, say in the nineties versus Mm. the seventies or the Mm eighties. How long do you see for your blood sugar to come back down? So there's a difference between your blood sugar going back to its like original or baseline baseline levels and your blood sugar stopping a roller coaster. 
Those okay. are two different things, right? I feel like overnight the roller coaster always stops. And then yes, your baseline might be higher. Sometimes it can take a couple of days. You know, for example, I don't know. If I've had a donut for breakfast, mental health episode, pizza for lunch, cookies, chips, if I've had like just a really full out day, um, then I think the next day is really important in the healing process. And I might have to wait until the day after to actually feel like my baseline levels are back to normal. But I think this really varies. It does really vary. And it it varies based on, I think, our your muscle like mass, yeah. right? Because that exercise. is your, that's mm-hmm. your metabolism. Do you have empty stores to put that sugar away? So say if someone with more muscle mass, you think about the places you store sugar, your liver, your muscles. And if there's no space left, you're putting it into fat cells. So think about that. If you are someone who lifts a lot of weights, has really insulin sensitive muscles, and you have just worked out and gone into a meal where you're having what you say is like, the donut, the pizza, mental health episode, the mm-hmm. snacks, you have basically empty tanks to store that sugar. Yeah. And those muscles, then if you wake up the next day with a little bit of elevated blood sugar and you work out, you're mm-hmm. dumping those, dumping your muscles of stored sugar. You're making space for that extra elevation. And you may be able to bring your blood sugar back down qu- quicker. But what is what you touched on is really important for people to understand. I hate when people say they're having a cheat day or a cheat weekend. And this is kind of what happens is people don't give it enough time to see, like they don't give their body enough time to bring their blood sugar back down. They say they're, I'm quote unquote, good all week. I'm, and I hate that, but it's like, I'm good. I'm eating clean Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday night, the wheels fall off. I have so much fun until Sunday when I have all this anxiety Sunday night. And I think about all the ways that I'm going to clean up my diet. But what they don't realize is it's some of the time if they're if they are throwing the towel in and deciding to start over on Monday, they're actually going to have to deal with all those choices Monday, Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday, depending on you know their activity levels and what they're really eating. Maybe it's even seeping into Thursday, and that would drive anyone crazy because you're not going to get results that way. You're going to have elevated anxiety and probably like mood issues Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, while you're trying to bring that blood sugar back down and feeling like, oh, the weekend was a, I was a failure or something like that's really hard for me. I think you need to make a choice. I'm going to enjoy the pizza. And what you are talking about and what I love so much about your content is that you're saying you're deciding to have the pizza. You're going to have the veggies before with a little bit of vinegar. You're going to order it at the restaurant. You're not going to start with the, with the bread. You're going to have the pizza for dinner. And then, you know, after dinner, you're going to look at having that blood sugar back down, starting your day the next day with a savory breakfast, maybe moving your body and voila, you can have your pizza without having to throw in the towel. Yeah. The biggest success, I think, um, with this whole glucose revolution that is happening is if we can help people shift from exactly what you're saying, Monday to Thursday, I try really hard, I white knuckle it, and then everything falls off the rails to a system where all we do is we add these little tips to our day all the time because they're really easy. Who doesn't want to eat an extra starter before your meals? You know, Who minds using your muscles or having some vinegar before you eat something sweet? These things are not stuff you have to white knuckle and then you're so glad they're over. You can just keep them in your lifestyle forever. And naturally you'll see that your cravings will diminish. You'll want fewer of these cheat days or cheat foods. Everything will fall back into place. You're adding stuff. You're not forcing yourself to stop other things. And in fact, you know, I think that people can even look at exactly what they're eating today, change nothing, but just add in the hacks and they will see a huge difference. Major. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's talk about activity and sleep um, Mm, because these these two things are a major, have a major impact on blood glucose levels, but they're not food. So how do you, how do you incorporate activity and focus on sleep? And what do you, what have you seen in the data? Uh And I would also add to those two menstrual cycle and stress. So all of these non-food things that affect our glucose levels. So stress and poor sleep make our body have a harder time handling glucose spikes. So after a night of poor sleep, and I have this really cool graph that shows cappuccino after eight hours of sleep, cappuccino after six hours of sleep. And after six hours, the spike is bigger, more inflammation, 
then the drop is more pronounced, more cravings, more fatigue, right? So the same foods, depending on how well you've slept, will impact how you feel differently. Similarly, for the menstrual cycle in women, the week before your period, the same thing happens. The same foods will create bigger fluctuations and variations in your system. Same thing with stress, right? The more stressed you are, the more spikes you're going to see. Stress can even cause spikes in the absence of food. The biggest spike I ever saw in my CGM was when I had to give a presentation in front of all of 23andMe, you know, 400 people. And I was really stressed. And after the presentation, I looked at my glucose and it was at 210, 210, Mm. which is, well, it was very, for a very short amount of time, but it was incredibly high because when you're stressed, your body releases glucose because it wants to give you fuel to run away from the tiger. (laughs) So that was really amazing to see. So then I, I went and I, I shaked it off and I did some like some squats and some pushups to get that glucose um, out of my bloodstream. Um, So yeah, so stress, sleep, menstrual cycle, and then activity levels. So when we work out, usually we absorb glucose from our bloodstream and put it into our muscles. But if we work out very intensely when we are fasted, the same thing as during a stressful episode will happen. Your liver will release glucose to fuel your muscles. Um, so you have all these amazing things that you can discover when you're wearing a CGM that show you that glucose is affected not just by what you eat. I love that. So what if someone is really stressed out, having to give lots of presentations in their job, and they're female, so they're menstruating, um, if, you know, if they're not pregnant or um, postmenopausal and their job really wrecks their sleep, what kind of activity would you recommend for that type of person? I would recommend first thing in the morning doing five minutes of high intensity exercise. So I assume this person would be very busy, right? So do like, I don't know, as many burpees as you can in five minutes to get your muscles activated so that any glucose that appears because of a stressful situation, for example, or because lack of sleep um, will be uptaken more quickly. And then a lot of movement, right? So maybe take another five minutes after lunch and go up and down the stairs at your office five times or like shake in the bathroom stall, you know, really, really get your body moving because your muscles are your biggest ally. Really, it's incredible. After a night of poor sleep, if you just do this high intensity exercise in the morning, you really see a stark difference in your body's ability to handle spikes during the day. They get smaller again. Exercise really compensates for other stressors, which is interesting because exercise is also kind of a stressor, right? But we know that in the balance, exercise is actually a hormetic stress. So it has more benefits than it has stressful downsides. So I would say that. And then always think about the hacks. So before you eat anything, make sure the first thing you're eating has fat, fiber, or protein in it. So veggies, keep nuts handy, keep some vinegar handy, savory breakfast if you can, and try to snack on savory things, not on sweet things. Keep the sweet stuff for dessert. It's a lot of information. No, really, (laughs) really, really good tips. Can we talk a little bit about meal timing, snacking, and what is most supportive of a blood glucose curve? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would mention this really cool study that put uh, diabetics. So a lot of the glucose studies have been done on diabetics, of course. So some have not been replicated, but we can assume they they hold true as well. They put type 2 diabetics on two diets, diet A, diet B, same calories, same exact foods. Group A ate six meals a day, ate the foods in six meals a day. Group B ate the foods in three meals a day. The three meal a day group saw a reduction in their glucose levels and their glucose spike and their markers of health. So generally, fewer meals, if you're eating the exact same stuff, seems to be better. Um, and it's because, as I mentioned, you know, if you eat fewer meals and you have sweet things as dessert, you're avoiding spikes in the middle of the day that might throw you off completely. I love it. I just love blood glucose information. I love (laughs) giving people these tools because I, I mean, if they've listened, if our listeners have, if my listeners have listened to nothing, but they listen to this episode, I really do feel like they're going to make significant changes in their life and feel significantly better, more energy, less mood swings, better sleep, more balanced, like the ease in which you will make food choices at lunch and dinner when you have a savory breakfast that's blood sugar balancing, when you don't have naked carbohydrates, when you add a little vinegar, when you have your pre-party as 
veggies with vinegar or something that will stabilize you and you learn to pair these foods together, like that, that is the keys to freedom. That's food freedom right there. And it's something that you can maintain from now until the day that you're 90 or a hundred years old. It's not a quick fix. It's not biohacking. That isn't something, you know, like I love all the biohacks. I love all the little interesting diet things that come out, but if you can't do it for the long run, I hesitate to bring it into my world just because I want my clients to be able to live a normal life, enjoy food with their friends, celebrate and not have things be off limits. And this is what blood sugar balance can help you do. Yes. (laughs) Jesse, this has been so much fun. I could talk to you forever. I feel like the alcohol bit, the coffee bit, moving your body, all the tips that you've given us today are really, really supported, going to support our listeners. And it's all supported by science. So thank you for digging into the research. Thank you for sharing all of your personal data online. I think that's a really major takeaway for people. If they're not following you, they can follow along at Glucose Goddess on Instagram, but where else can they find you online? That's the best place for now. Okay. Go follow along. If you guys are interested in a continuous glucose monitor, I personally invested my personal money into Levels, um, which is a, a CGM that is available in the United States to people without a prescription. If you have any type of metabolic marker, if you have PCOS, if you've had gestational diabetes, I think you should beg your doctor for a prescription because then you're going to save a bunch of money. If you live abroad, apparently you can just walk into a pharmacy and get one. But if you don't and you want to trial a CGM for a little bit, a little while, levels.link forward slash Kelly lets you skip the line to get a levels CGM. And it's something that I personally, like I said, I put my own money into this company as an investor because I want everyone to have this access. I wish we had the access that you have, Jesse, in, in France. Man, that would be a game changer for so many people here in the United States with the number of people with prediabetes, diabetes, polycystic ovarian syndrome, what we're seeing in regards to Alzheimer and dementia numbers. It's heartbreaking for me, but your information and your data for people who cannot afford a continuous glucose monitor you're hack, you're helping people hack it without, without a CGM. And I think even if you had a CGM and you didn't do the work and you just saw the spikes, it's not going to, you're not going to get the benefit. So go follow along with Jesse and learn how you can balance your blood sugar and flatten your curve um, and feel your best. Thank, thank you. you s- thank you so much for being here. This was so fun. And thank you for everything you're doing too. You know, we're all, we have all the same mission and it's, it's lovely to have allies. Absolutely. So it's great to meet you. All boats rise. So really great to meet you too, personally. Thank you for listening to Be Well by Kelly. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at bewellbykelly.com and follow me on Instagram at bewellbykelly. I would love if you picked up my books, Body Love and Body Love Every Day. They're sold on Amazon and at all major booksellers. 